Hey, have, uh, have you ever met somebody uh, and they're just so eager and can't wait to tell you some good news that's just happened to them? For example, somebody who, who uh, uh, they just have a new grandchild. Where'd Al go? He just, he left. He might have just kept going. I don't know if he's going to be back or not, but, but they just have a new grandchild. So that's great news and they can't wait to share it. Perhaps somebody who's just gotten engaged. You know, the, the, the look, right? She's walking around with her head kind of down and she's smiling and you say hello to her and she just kind of sticks her hand out like that. <laughs> Uh, just somebody just gets engaged, can't wait to tell you. Then there's, there's Bernie and Barbara Berry, who just yesterday celebrated their 50th anniversary. Let's give them a big round of applause this morning. Now, Bernie, I'm going to put you on the spot. What is the secret to 50 years of marriage? Obey my wife. So put that down. Now, Barbara was only 12 when they got married. So if you look at it, how can she be married for 50 years? It's because she was only well, congratulations uh, with that, by the way. Then there's, a, uh, you know, then there's the, uh, uh, the new car. I uh, can't wait to tell somebody, show them a picture uh, of my new car. Then there's, then there's the, the person who says, I can't wait to tell you about my team, how my team won yesterday or how, how this went on. So we celebrate everybody today should be happy about their team, right? <laughs> the team wins. And then there's this, you know, I, I survived the hurricane, right? Hurricane Dorian is history, right? So, so you run into people. They can't wait to tell you about some great, exciting news and event that's happened in their life. Have you ever met somebody who is so excited and can't wait to tell you about an encounter they've had with the Lord Jesus Christ? They can't wait to tell you how awesome that's been and how much He has done for them. Maybe they've just recently become a Christian, or maybe they've been a Christian for years. Maybe they've been living in a spirit of of, of the presence of Christ, or maybe they've just come back to their faith in the Lord. Any number of different ways. This morning in our second service, uh, we'll be celebrating baptism this morning. Now, if you were here two weeks ago for our combined worship service, we baptized 10 on that day. Isn't it exciting? Baptized 10 at one time. Across our Southern Baptist Convention, bless our hearts, the average church baptizes about five per year. On that one occasion, we baptized 10. Uh, The average church in North Carolina doesn't do any better. In fact, half of our North Carolina churches, Southern Baptist churches, baptized zero last year. And that's a shame. But two weeks ago, we baptized 10. Now, I say that to say this. They all couldn't be there. So today at the 1045 service, we're going to be baptizing, listen to this, nine more. Sorry. And in case you're wondering and think my shirts don't match up here, this is my baptizing shirt here. So I'm ready for the next service. So I'm going to go in there in the right window. We're going to be baptizing in our, in our next service. And so that is exciting. Among those being baptized at our second service, this will mean something to some of you, is a man named Robbie Andrews. Robbie's dad, Preston Andrews, was the first worship pastor or music leader here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church back in 1955. And Robbie started coming back. He he came as a child, started coming back a little while back. His nephews, Clay and Preston, had a burden for him, talked to him about Jesus, got him back to Ridgecrest, Attended Rod King's Outdoor Ministry Sunday School Connect group. He attended Celebrate Recovery on a, Sunday night, on a Friday night. Daniel Bowles, one of our church members who directs Celebrate Recovery, shared the gospel 
And Robbie trusted Jesus as his Savior. Today, in our second service, I have the privilege of baptizing Robbie Andrews. Isn't that exciting? Now, I know all of you can't wait to get out of here and get to the steakhouse before the other churches get out. But I'll tell you this. If you want to take just a few extra minutes before you leave, just hang out at the back of the gym for our second service. You'll get to see all those uh, folks being baptized, including Robbie. Uh, so there are people that can't wait to tell you what Jesus has done for them. And Robbie's one of those guys. I've learned. He, just, he, just, he wants to tell you what the Lord has done for him. In the book of Acts, which is where we're at, starting uh, kind of just launching, in the book of Acts, we find there are people over and over again who have an encounter with Jesus Christ that changes their life and they can no longer be the same. They are changed forever. And so throughout the book of Acts, we see this, and, and we, we're learning that the book of Acts is built on top of the book of Luke. There are two volumes. There's Luke, and then there is Acts. And in each case, Luke is writing uh, the story of Jesus and then the story of the early church so that everyone may know the wonderful good news of the gospel and experience the life change that leaves them never to be the same again. In both Luke and Acts, Luke is writing to a, a guy named Theophilus. Theophilus is the, to whom the letter is addressed for the gospel of Luke and to the book of Acts. What do we know about Theophilus? Well, on one hand we know uh, that he, uh, he is, his name means literally lover of God or friend of God. His name means that. He was either a new believer in Christ and Luke was writing to help him grow in his faith or he was a potential believer in Christ. He had some questions. He was willing to read. He was willing to consider the claims of the gospel. We, we don't know if Theophilus was a specific person named Theophilus or if that was just symbolic of people who want to be the friend of God. We don't know if Theophilus was an individual person or if Theophilus is a pseudonym or a fake name in order to prevent someone from being persecuted by uh, the Romans or by the Jews for the Christian faith because we know that early on Christians were persecuted for their belief in the gospel. We also have another clue, and that is Luke addresses Theophilus as most excellent Theophilus. That's a greeting reserved for those of high society or of important stature or of government service. So perhaps this Theophilus was a notable person uh, with high social standing. That's what we know about Theophilus, really not much. And then there's Luke. What do we know about Luke? Because he's the one that wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. What we know about Luke is that he was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile, and he was a convert to Christianity. Now, the details of Luke's conversion are not recorded in the Bible. And I wish they were. Don't you? That would be a great story, whatever it was. It would be a great story. I'd love to know it. And we will one day in heaven. But it's not recorded in the Bible. From the book of Acts and from the writings of Paul, the great missionary and church planter in the New Testament, we find out these things about Luke. Luke was a friend and a traveling companion of Paul the missionary. So when we get to the part of Acts where we talk about Paul going on missionary journeys. He went on three different missionary journeys. Luke was a companion of Paul. 
We know that Luke was not just a, 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 an observer, but he was a participant. He actually was a part of the missionary effort. So as Paul would go in, others were with him, and they would serve in the community during these missionary efforts. And we know that because Luke often refers later in the book of Acts to, to, to we. We did this. We did that. So we know Luke was involved. We also know that Luke was a physician. He was highly educated. In the book of Colossians, Paul identifies Luke as a physician. So he was highly educated, and of the gospel writers, he had the most precise and, and, and good quality, uh, good use of the Greek language uh, when he wrote uh, the Bible, wrote, wrote those two books. We also know that Luke was a man who lived a life on mission. He lived a life that exemplified his belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the early church histories in writing about different characters of that era wrote about the, the, the person of Luke. And here's what it says about Luke. He served the Lord without distraction, having neither wife nor children. And at the age of 84, he fell asleep or died in Boeotia, a city in Greece, full of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me? Can you imagine that being uh, how you're remembered? Not necessarily all the details of what you did here or there or yonder, but, but simply being remembered as someone who was full of the Holy Spirit. I, I, was, I was taking this little statement about Luke and thought, what would I like to be said about me when the time comes? Here's what I want to be said about me. I hope to be said about Mark. He served the Lord without distraction. That's a great, that's a great statement right there. He served the Lord without distraction, having a large godly family. And at the age of 105, I'm giving myself 50 more years, at the age of 105, he fell asleep in Durham, North Carolina, full of the Holy Spirit. That's what I like to be said about me. I hope something similar is what you would like to be said about you when the time comes that you pass on from this world. Serving the Lord without distraction. You know another way to say that? He had a life on mission. A life on mission. I want you to, to notice up on the screen, uh, I've, I've chosen a, a passage from the book of Acts for us to share this morning. Acts chapter 16 and verse number 31. Acts 16, 31. The words are on the screen. This is the message. When, when they went out sharing the message of Jesus in the churches, in the communities, on the mission trips, this is the message. And I want you to share that message out loud with me. Let's read it together. Ready? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Let's say it again. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. And our Heavenly Father, today may we hear that message. May we recognize those who gave their lives in the service of sharing that message. And may we join them in living a life on mission today forward as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, please be seated. So we have the, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Luke introduces us to the Gospel of Jesus, his life on earth, his teachings, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the meaning of it. And then in Acts, he talks about how that translates over into the church. So let's take just a few moments this morning as we continue to kind of lay the groundwork for this series of messages in the book of Acts. I don't know if it's going to take six months or a year or two years. We're just going to 
we're just going we're going we're going to do it like uh, eating the elephant, right? One bite at a time. Work our way through the book of Acts and and ask the Lord to help us understand what happened then and to remind ourselves that God wants to do it again now. He wants to do it again now. So let's start with, uh, with Luke. If you have your Bibles, turn to, to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at just the first couple of verses there. Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. And uh, just to give us an, an introduction to both Luke and to the gospel of Luke. And, uh, and there we, I want you to notice four things I want us to highlight about the introduction to the book of Luke as a foundation for Acts. First of all, I want you to notice uh, in verse 1, the effort of the believers... There's an effort, a great effort of the believers in the day in which Luke wrote to get the message out. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What is the context of that message? The book of Luke provides that context. And lots of effort was given to record and to share the gospel. Why? So that people might believe in Jesus. Notice verse 1 of Luke 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. You see, Luke and Acts records many different people. And Luke mentions that right here. There are many people have, have, have tried to compile this narrative. Many people have been touched by the gospel. Now, now, some people are called to tell their neighbors about it, and that's the extent of what they can do. They tell their neighbor. Another person may want to write a letter to a friend in another city or write a letter to a relative or in, in our day and time would, would send a, a, an email or put it on Facebook, something like that. And that's what they do. Other people may, may stand up and teach in front of a Sunday school connect group or, or a gathering of people at work or a family reunion, getting together, sharing the message. Somebody else might say, I'm going to, I'm going to write. I have the ability to write. Luke did. And while many other people were out there sharing the same message and were trying to compile all these things together, notice Luke said, he said, I want to do the same thing. I want to do exactly the same thing. Notice in, in verse number 2, there, 2 and 3, the sources of this effort. The, the, the many people wanted to write it, and as Luke worked to compile it together, notice in verses 2 and 3, the different sources that are there. And they are sources that are close to the events. When Luke went back to, to, to write about the life of Jesus, he didn't have to go back and say, well, I heard your cousin's grandfather's sister two, two towns away knew about Jesus. What can you tell me? No, he didn't have to do that. He talked to the people that were there. He went to the places. He heard the stories. When we, we read about the stories of, of, the, of Jesus in the, in the Gospel of Luke, G, uh, Luke talked to those people who were there and testified to those things being true. Notice... In verse number 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account. What is Luke trying to do? He's trying to gather all the sources, the eyewitnesses who saw it, the ministers of the word who participated in ministry, and gather all these stories and put them into a, a, a one orderly account, in order, not chaotic, not half thought out, not missing some pieces, but to thoroughly research, gather, and report the wonderful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was detail-oriented, and he was not disorganized or chaotic. 
Notice the third thing I want to highlight about Luke is, is notice the focus of this effort. It gets very personal. He wasn't just writing a historical account. He wasn't just telling a story. He wasn't just writing for unnamed people out there, although that's part of the audience. He's writing very specifically for you. For you. Luke makes this writing of the gospel and the book of Acts very, very personal. Notice what he says there in verse number 3. This is for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now the message is for everyone, but we have to be careful that we don't just kind of blanketly say, well, we're all at church, that means we're all Christians. We're all at church, that means we're all believers. You, 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 can't, you can't make that leap. You have to recognize that while the message is for everyone, it's for the individual. It's available to all, but it's not automatic that we become Christians. It's up to each one of us to hear and respond to the message. So notice there's that focus on the personal, the focus on you. And notice uh, in verse number 4 there in Luke chapter 1, uh, the fourth thing to highlight, that is the motive for the effort. Why in the world go to this trouble? Why in the world? Because now we know Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. He, he left, let's, let's just say he left a thriving practice at the, at the general hospital of Jerusalem or wherever he happened to live. And he joined up this missionary effort and he laid all those things aside. The income it would have generated, the notoriety it would have generated, the ease of life it would have generated. And he said, I'm going with the missionary and we're going to go tell people about Jesus. Why would he do that? Why go to this effort? To, to gather all this information about Jesus. We see it in verse number 4. He says that you, Theophilus, that you, reader of the gospel, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That's a great assurance right up at the front. That you may have certainty so that what you, what you heard is not just some fable. It's not just some fairy tale. It's not just some off-the-wall story that, that these crazy wacko people have latched onto and run off to the mountains. No, this is, a, this is a, a belief and this is a faith and this is a message that you can have certainty is true. It's true for all of us who put it together and it can be true in your life as well. See, Theophilus as I mentioned earlier, is either a new believer or a potential believer. He's somebody willing to explore the message. He's somebody willing to, to give consideration to the message. And, and Luke tells him right up front, I did all this work so that you can be certain that it's true. So that you can know it's true. Not just hope it's true, but so that you can know that it's true. There's something similar in the Gospel of John towards the end. In John chapter 21 and verse number 31, uh, John wrote these words. He said, these things, these things about Jesus, these are written so that you may believe. See, it's not just written for a historical account. It's written that you might take action. It's written that something might take place. It, it's written so that there might be a response in your life as you read and hear these words about the message of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the response, John says, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. See, in a sense, we might could say this. I might could say to you, I am Theophilus. I'm Theophilus. What does that mean? 
Well, we know Theophilus means a lover of God or a friend of God. We know that Theophilus was someone searching to, to, gather, to gather meaning, searching for certainty to know that what he's heard about Jesus is true. So, so you may be here today like me and like others, Theophilus, and, and be able to say, I, like Theophilus, am searching to know the certainty of the things of God. Well, in volume one, Luke goes on to tell the story of Jesus. His birth, his life, his teaching, his ministry, his arrest, his persecution, his death, his burial, and finally his resurrection. All that's recorded in volume one. But now we turn over to volume two. In volume two, we kind of now our introduction to the book of Acts. If you have that, your Bible open to Acts, we're going to look at verses one through 11 uh, briefly as we conclude our message this morning. But in Acts chapter number one, again, I want you to notice four things that we can highlight about the introduction to the book of Acts. Notice, uh, first of all, there's a context to each of the books. There's a context. Uh, and we see this in verses 1 and 2 of Acts chapter 1. Uh, he refers back in verse 1, uh, Luke refers back and says, that what Jesus began to do and to teach regarding the, the gospel. What Jesus began to do, his ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection, his teaching, what he began to do these things through the gospel to establish his church on earth. And then we get to the book of Acts and we see what Jesus continued to do through the Holy Spirit. And remember I mentioned last week, if you were here, the importance of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Every chapter, 70 different references, the book of Acts is a book of action by the Holy Spirit. And so in part two of the, of the two-part series, the book of Acts, Jesus continued through the Holy Spirit, to build His church on earth. To build His church. Notice verse 1 of Acts 1. In the first book, which is Luke, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. That's the first book. But notice also now the second highlight for Acts, and that is the empowerment for ministry. And here's where the Holy Spirit just comes. The Holy Spirit just comes in and takes center stage in the book of Acts. And He is the empowerment for the disciples. Let's notice a couple of things about this. One is the evidence uh, of, of Jesus being raised. Uh, Jesus presented Himself alive and He gave proof that He was alive. He wasn't just a ghost. He wasn't just a figure. There have been those in history that have tried to say that what, what the disciples saw, that after the resurrection of Jesus, it really wasn't a physical body that could eat and drink and touch and feel. It was a spirit body. And if you touched it, your hand would go right through it. And of course, a spirit body doesn't eat or drink. And, and Jesus, we know from the Gospels, Jesus presented himself as raised, not just spiritually, but raised physically from the dead. And so Jesus gave many proofs. And then there's teaching. He taught them and spoke with them about the kingdom of God. He laid the groundwork. Many things that are not reflected in the scripture were taught by Jesus to the disciples during those 40 days. And then the disciples also had the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to them, stay here. And not too many days from now, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He said it like this, in, starting in verse number 3. He presented himself alive to them, that's the disciples, after his suffering and death and resurrection by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
Can you imagine what that must have been like? There, there's very little biblical information about what happened in those 40 days. Wouldn't you like to know what happened in those 40 days? I would like to know. The Bible just doesn't tell us. The Bible tells us everything that we need to know, and there are many things throughout Scripture that we would like to know, but the Scripture doesn't tell us. What it does tell us is enough. Amen? What it does tell us is that during those 40 days, Jesus spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He appeared to them. He gave them many different proofs that He was indeed alive and that He was indeed God in human form. Verse number 4. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Spirit's coming. Now, if you're one of those disciples and you're there during those 40 days, I don't know everything that Jesus said, obviously, but when Jesus said to them, don't go anywhere because you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, I'm probably going to be thinking they were too, like, what does that mean? I have no clue what to expect, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere because I've seen a man perform miracles, die on a cross, be buried in a tomb, be raised from the dead. He's been hanging out with us for 40 days, and he says there's more coming. The Spirit's coming. I'm staying put because I want to know what's, be, what's going to be going on. And for us, we have the same thing. I want you to recognize this. For us, we have the same. We have the evidence, which is the Word of God. We have the evidence which has changed lives in the teaching of the church. We have, we have the teaching which is the Scripture, the Word of God. We have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came all the way back in Acts chapter 2. And I've got news for you. As Baptists, we get scared of this. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you. The Holy Spirit is still here. The Holy Spirit is active. The Holy Spirit is available. And the Holy Spirit is missing in all too many believers' lives. And it's not His fault. So part of what we can do as we go through the book of Acts is just be praying, Lord, help me to understand your spirit. Help me to recognize your spirit. Help me to live in your spirit. And your spirit that already lives in me, help me to get in touch and allow you to live out through me. So, so, so we have the empowerment for ministry. But notice also thirdly here in the first chapter of the book of Acts, the speculation of Christians. I love this. This is how we know the early Christians were Baptists. They jumped five feet ahead of wherever Jesus was. And we're so guilty of doing that. People always think they know what's going on before they're told what's going on. That's true in every church, isn't it? Except this church. It was true of the disciples as they related to Jesus. Notice verse number six. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus. The disciples asked Jesus. Okay, Lord, we've been, we've been with you now these 40 days and these three years before that. We've seen all these things. So, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Are, are you, is this the time when it's all going to come together? Is this the time when history is going to end? Is this the time when all the things you talked about are going to take place? Because we're making plans. And Jesus hadn't said a word about this, evidently. We're all guilty of that. See, a little knowledge can, can be a dangerous thing. Well... There are questions that we as Christians often have. And I've asked the questions of the Lord just like you have. The disciples asked him in verse number 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it all going to come together? 
We also ask questions like this. When is the end going to be here? We ask questions like, what is heaven really going to be like? We ask questions like, why is there disease and death and sorrow and suffering? Why are there hurricanes? Why is there poverty? Why is there evil? You've asked those questions like I have. And they're not, not that the questions are bad, but that if we're not careful, we will, lo we, will, we will lock into questions for which there are not specific answers, and we will uh, get locked in on those and miss what, we, what Jesus does want us to know. For example, in, in, the first, in the first place, verse 7, Jesus issues a correction. He answers them with a correction. He said, he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. In other words, you ask this question, and it's not up to you to know the answer. Now, God, the Father, guess what? He knows the answer. Guess what? God, the Father, He's got it under control. You ever wonder if God's got it under control? God's got it under control. And then He says, not only has God, does God know the answer, not only does God have it under control, but God has already fixed it. The fix is in. Did you know that? The fix is in. Jesus says it right here. The Father has fixed this all by His own authority. What's His authority? He's God. It's all the authority He needs. But then notice also there's a second answer to this question. They say, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus says, it's not for you to know that. God's got that taken care of. But here's what I do want you to know, Jesus says. Verse number 8. But you, you're going to receive power. Remember I told you the Holy Spirit's coming? You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You'll be those that will go out and can't wait to tell somebody else what the Lord has done in your life. You're going to go out and you're going to be so moved by the Spirit and you're going to be so close to me and I'm going to be so close to you. You're not going to worry about what's going to happen at the end and what, what God's got fixed over here and what God's got fixed over there. But when the Spirit comes and you get in touch with the Spirit and the Spirit has control of your life, He says, you're going to go out and you're going to be my witnesses in your homes, in your businesses, in your schools, in your communities, in your neighborhoods, in the region around your church. You're going to be my witnesses. He says there, notice, he says in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And if you look at, at the map, it's like a little bullseye. Jerusalem is the bullseye. Then Judea and Samaria just kind of ripples out. And then Jesus jumps ahead and says, to the very end of the earth. To the end of the earth. Do you know where the end of the earth is? Right now it's in Durham, North Carolina. Can you imagine getting from Jerusalem and Israel in the first century to Durham, North Carolina in the 21st century? To the ends of the earth. The gospel is to go out to the ends of the earth. In fact, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8 serves as the, book of, the, the table of contents for the book of Acts. Everything else from this point forward goes in order of Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. We'll look at chapters 1 through 7 as the gospel focuses on Jerusalem. We'll look at chapters 8 through 12 as the gospel focuses on the outreach in Judea and Samaria. And then we'll look at chapters 13 through 28 as the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth, including Durham, North Carolina, in the year 2019. That's the outline for the book of Acts. And then I want to conclude with this. Highlights to recognize in this introduction, and that is the expectation of return. Full expectation 
that Jesus is coming back. Full expectation that Jesus is coming back. He didn't just go off and leave us. He didn't say, see you later. He didn't say, good luck. He said, I'm coming back. Jesus is going to come again. Notice verse number 9 of Acts chapter 1. When Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. He literally rose up off the ground, physically, spiritually, literally. We don't know exactly what it looked like. I would love to have been there and seen it, wouldn't you? And I look forward. I don't know how it's going to happen. But they've got these things now called smart TVs. Al, you've got a smart TV? Mine's smarter than I am. I don't know about you, but, but... A smart TV can do all these crazy things, but it's nothing. When we get to heaven, I just can't help but think at some point there's going to be a, a, a visual way we can go back and we can look and see Jesus lifted up off the ground, disappearing into that cloud, and the people just standing there. They, they hadn't had time to, to say anything to each other. They're just looking at Jesus lifting up off the ground, disappearing into the cloud. And, and it says in verse number 10, And while they were gazing into heaven, just standing there, jaw open, eyes bulging, looking up while they were doing that, it says, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. These are angels. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? (laughs) Didn't you just see what happened? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Just as you saw him go up, one day he's going to come back. In the meantime, he's going to give you his Holy Spirit. In the meantime, he's going to use you to go out and take the message to the ends of the earth. In the meantime, he's going to use you, just like he's using Kevin and Carla and Hannah and Carol. Did you see that family? They could have been a family from any, that could anybody's family. And you know what they did? They felt the Holy Spirit in their heart say, pack up and go to Central Asia and live amongst a bunch of Muslim people and demonstrate and tell the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know what some of you are thinking right now. Well, if that's what the Holy Spirit does, don't count me in. But you know what I would challenge you to do? If the Holy Spirit is calling you to do that or anything else, even if it's awkward or intimidating, He will put a joy and a motivation in your soul. He will empower and equip you to do it. And he will provide the circumstances where all you have to do is be obedient to follow him. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. So I want to ask you in conclusion, just for a second, would you bow your head and close your eyes? Just to get along with yourself for just a moment here. And I want to conclude by saying this. That as we go through the book of Acts, and we're going to be looking at this topic of life on mission, I'm going to tell you that it's going to take you and I Becoming like Luke and becoming like Theophilus. And my hope is that every one of us in this room right now can put ourselves into one of those two categories. I hope that you can pray this morning and say to the Lord, Lord, I want to live a life like Luke, who served the Lord without distraction and fell asleep full of the Holy Spirit. If that's your desire right now, just tell the Lord. Just tell the right now in the quietness of this moment, Lord, I want to live a life without distraction and I want to live a life full of the Holy Spirit of God. Would you help me to do that? And then there's also in a room this size, this many people, 
there are people that are like Theophilus. You're willing to consider. You've come to church today for whatever reason. You're willing to consider the claims of the gospel. You're willing to consider uh, what it means to be a Christian. And would you be willing just to, just to, to, to pray to God and say, Lord, would you help me to know for certain? That's why the gospel of Luke was written. That's why Acts was written. That we might know for certain. And Lord, I want to know for certain. I may have questions. I may have doubts. Oh, that's fine. But Lord, would you tell the Lord, I want to know for certain. And I believe the Lord will answer that question faithfully in your life. I really hope and pray that as we see the transition taking place in our culture, that we'll see a transition take place at Ridgecrest Baptist Church and churches everywhere that says we're going to transition always as in the past into the future. To be and become more and more like Jesus. A church full of the Holy Spirit. A church where we teach and preach every possible person the certainty of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A church where we see lives changed and families healed and people brought to the kingdom. Where we have baptism after baptism after baptism and we grow them in the faith. I hope and pray you'll join me in praying for that to be always the case at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Lord, thank you for the wonderful opportunity today to gather, to worship, to hear, to sing, to open your word, to be encouraged by the early church, but not just encouraged, but instructed. And to recognize it's not just a history lesson, Lord, but it's a, it's a, it's a road map for us. May we, like Luke, determine to live a life on mission. And be willing to follow wherever the road leads that you would direct us upon. May we, Lord, today be like Theophilus and seek the certainties of the faith. To know beyond a shadow of a doubt all that it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, would you stir and bring us to faith and to growth. Lord, make it happen in our lives, in our church, our community, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.